0: Luke chapter two this morning we'll be looking at we're picking back up we have been uh, in our Advent series but it timed out just perfectly for us as a church to get back into our working through the Gospel of Luke this morning with Luke chapter two which is the birth narrative of Jesus Christ so we're gonna read a little bit of text here and just a few thoughts on it and we will we'll dig more into this in the in the coming weeks uh, of Luke. So Luke chapter 2, we're going to read all the way of verses 1 through 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. As we come to this uh, chapter here in the gospel of Luke, we've made note and are working through the first chapter of several interesting supernatural things going on in in this first chapter of Luke. The one big reality that we're getting from chapter 1 is that something astounding is going on. Something incredible. Something out of the ordinary. There's been all these red lights, all these flashing lights going off. Something is going on. Something the likes of which... You have never thought of, never seen before, never even thought to happen. Something amazing is going off. We had two visits from the angel Gabriel in chapter 1, right? And you can read this later if you want to, Luke chapter 1. But an angel shows up to Zechariah in the temple. He's doing his priestly service. He, He gets chosen to go in and offer incense. And there the angel Gabriel shows up. And tells him that his wife, Elizabeth, who is advanced in years, is going to bear a son. And Zechariah is skeptical. He said, how in the world this this ain't going to happen? And because of that, he is struck mute for the remainder of the pregnancy. For the nine months, Zechariah cannot speak. These supernatural events. Angels don't show up all the time. But here in Luke 1, angels shows up to Zechariah. But not only that, the angel shows up and says to Mary... Behold, you shall conceive. And she says, well, I've never known a man. How can this happen? And he says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and she will bear a son. He will reign on the throne of David. All of these angels showing up is to highlight this and stress to us something incredible is coming. Something incredible is coming. Elizabeth does indeed conceive. And they have a son and they name him John, John the Baptist, not John the disciple. The gospel of John is not written by John the Baptist, different John. This is the forerunner to the Messiah, this incredibly miraculous event. When John the Baptist is born, Zechariah, who has lost his voice, all of a sudden can sing and sings praise to God. Just all of these amazing events going on in Luke chapter 1. And all of them are written, re- recorded there so that they would draw our attention to something amazing is going on something astounding is happening Luke before and we were look at these supernatural events just quickly in chapter 2 Luke's whole purpose in writing this if we look at his mission statement in Luke chapter 1 verse 4 he's writing this letter to Theophilus and he says I write these things so that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke wants the listeners, the, the readers of this letter, to have certainty about these events. And so at the same time, we have two incredible things going on. There's this, this uh, warning light, these uh, interest, these things going on to draw our attention, these attention grabbing things to what's coming on in chapter 2. Something amazing is going to happen. But what we also see in Luke chapter 2 is is something just very natural, very much in the earth-space-time continuum. Something incredible is happening, and it's mixed in with this very real thing that's going on. When we read the Christmas story, sometimes we come across it like it's a fairy tale. And we read this like we would read a bedtime story of, of the Jesus and jo- Joseph and Mary going to Bethlehem and being born in a manger and he's laid out there with the, the shepherds come and there's the animals around. And we read it like it's kind of a fairy tale. But Luke, if you'll notice in chapter 2, Luke goes to great pains to say, listen, this is not a fairy tale, this is something... That really happened. He says that in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. He says, listen, this is who was in charge when this all went down. That all the world should be registered. This was the first registration. He's giving a lot of detail. This is the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Luke is taking great pains. So that when we read the gospel account of Jesus Christ... We don't, we don't make it a myth. We don't make it some sort of interesting story. He's saying, no, listen, you can go back in history. And the birth of this Savior didn't happen on some alien planet or in some mystical whatever. It happened in real time. When we think about the manger, when we think about Jesus Christ, it was 2,000 years ago, and it's easy for us to kind of, you know, their abstract thoughts. But Luke is working hard that the birth of Jesus Christ wouldn't just be abstract in our head, some idea. It was real. Jesus was born. I know we sing Silent Night, Holy Night, and it's a touching, it was a great moment last night by candlelight singing Silent Night, Holy Night. But the reality is it probably wasn't that silent of a night. Because Jesus was a baby. I mean, he's just it was a regular baby. And I don't know if. Any of y'all been around the delivery room, but it isn't too silent, is it? It isn't silent. It isn't silent the few hours after. And if it's silent, it's a bad thing. You want it to be noisy. If Jesus had been born and been silent, I think they'd been concerned. He was a real baby, born in a stable, born. There was no room for them in the inn, is what we know. And they laid him in a manger. Jesus, and when did this happen? From a decree by Caesar Augustus, the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Folks, Jesus was born. God really came into the world. God really put on flesh. God, the eternal one, became one of us. This is extremely important. He becomes one of us. He puts on flesh and blood so that he can rescue those who are of flesh and blood. We cannot sever and distance ourselves from this reality. God put on flesh in real space and time. He really was born. And Luke works hard that we would know that. We see God breaking into space and time, breaking into the reality that is our world, breaking into flesh and blood to redeem those who are of flesh and blood. We call it the incarnation, right? And so fun, that's kind of, a it's not a huge word, but incarnation. And what does it mean to have that God incarnate? He was God incarnate. Uh, anybody ever have chili con carne? And that little word carne there. chili with meat con carne carne meat carnivores does anybody here a carnivore i had great steaks on christmas eve last night someone got for us i'm a carnivore i eat meat the incarnation god puts on flesh he becomes real he is i don't mean to be crass he's god in meat he is he is in flesh jesus really came And Luke works hard that we would know in space and time, Jesus really came. But it also, in the midst of all of its naturalness, in the midst of all of its just humanness, there are incredible things going on. If you still have your Bible, you can go back with me to Micah chapter 5. And I don't have my pew Bible with me, but it's a little minor prophet, just about that much further back if you want to look. One of the supernatural, there's three really incredible things I want to look at, and the first one is God's supernatural ruling over uh, worldly authorities. Why did they go to Bethlehem? Why did they move wherever they are from Nazareth, right? We call Jesus, he's Jesus of Nazareth, right? But he's born in Bethlehem. Why in the world is he born in Bethlehem? Well, the worldly authorities said, go back to the town of your lineage and get registered, and That's all it was, right? And so he was born in Bethlehem. What's the big deal? We see in this moving of Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, God's supernatural authority over all the forces of the world. It was prophesied back here in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you, from Bethlehem, shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of day, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, when the rest of the people shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. This prophecy hundreds of years earlier that the coming king, this coming savior is going to be born where? From, is going to come from where? From Bethlehem. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. So as natural as it was, we see God ruling over Caesar Augustus. He's ruling over Quirinius. They think they're going to get their taxes right and get populations counted right. And all along, God is orchestrating the the proof, the evidence of the Messiah coming by them going to Bethlehem for this child to be born. God rules over these worldly authorities. And in the midst of that, the second thing is the smallness, the smallness that God takes onto himself to prove that this is truly his work. How would you expect the Messiah to come? If, if president or president-elect were to show up, wouldn't we throw out a parade? Wouldn't they meet with the high officials? Wouldn't they come in all of their gallantry and all of this pomp and circumstance? There'd be this great security force that would come around them to make them safe. There's a great regal reception that would be had if someone of that stature were to come in. And when God comes into the world, how does He come in? He comes in low. God comes in low. He comes to Bethlehem, tiny out of the no nowhere middle of nowhere place. He's not laid up in the palace. He's not in the towers wherever you know. He's not in the big high-rise hotel. He comes. There's not even room for him in the inn. And he's not laid in some gold-plated manger, a gold-plated crib. He's laid in a manger. God comes low. God comes in low. And we should see in this the reality that God accomplishes His purposes. No matter what apparent handicap comes His way, God will do His work. And a Savior comes. That God is brought low that we might be lifted high. God comes all the way down so that through this one who has come low, those who are low, which is all of us as sinners, could be raised high. God comes low. And the third supernatural event, we've seen Gabriel twice what happens here? The heavenly hosts show up. An angel is there to the shepherds, says, this, uh, go to see this baby is in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be the sign for you. And suddenly, verse 13 of chapter 2, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. All of these incredible events going on and they all are flashing at us to highlight one great big reality. The good news of our great joy. Look, Luke is writing to us and reminding us. God wants to say to us, look, something incredible is going on here. A Savior is being born the Messiah that we have been longing for. We could go back through and we don't have time, but ever since Genesis 3.15, the promised seed of the woman, He's coming. Or we could go to Genesis 12, the seed of Abraham, who, through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed, the one we've been looking for. He's coming. He's coming all the way along. We could look at also 2 Samuel 7, this Davidic king, this son of David, who's going to reign on the throne forever. This prophet, that we've been looking for since Deuteronomy 18, 15. All of these things pointing, someone's coming, someone's coming, a rescuer is coming, a savior is coming, one is going to redeem and, and set up God's kingdom on earth again is coming. And all of these things, these warning lights are coming off in Luke chapter 1 and 2 to say, He is here. The one we've been longing for is here. He is the baby born in a manger this baby born in the manger is Christ the Messiah, is God our Savior. Galatians chapter 4 is the last. We'll just look at this quickly while we're here. Galatians 4 tells us what here is going on. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Here we see the grounding reality of our joy. We take time, and I want to take time this morning, for joy. True joy. Not Not things, not not even not not family, not to get togethers, not food, but true lasting eternal joy, the joy that is found in Christ, in this baby. Galatians chapter four, verses four through seven. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Have you ever felt in your heart a deep desire that, boy, if I could just have this one thing, it'd fix everything? I mean, it's a junior high feeling kind of more than, and you get older and you realize nothing, nothing's fixing all my problems. <laughs> but, and you know, when you're in junior high and you think, boy, if I could just get this girl, if I could just get this girl, boy, everything would be my life. I wouldn't matter what comes on. If I got this girl, everything's great. Or it might be, if I could just get this car. Remember when you had that feeling like, oh man, if I could just get that 83 Regal with a really nice stereo in it? And every, why, 83, that's a legit car. I wish I had one still. If I could just get this, everything would be fixed. Or if I could just get this amount of money in my bank account. You know, you have those feelings. of If, if only this would happen, it would fix everything. And we, we put, and then we realize, we put that out there, and as life goes on, we, at, we get that thing. We realize, oh, <laughs> that didn't fix everything, don't we? If I could just get this, it'd fix everything. And then we get it, and we realize, well, that didn't really fix half the things I thought it would fix. We're putting our hope and our joy, our, our, all of our expectations on this temporal thing that was never meant to give us full and lasting joy. But in that desire for this one thing that fixes everything is the echo of this Christmas reality. There is one great reality that changes everything, and it is that a Savior is born. This is the one true joy that changes all other realities. This is the one eternal hope. This is the one eternal peace. The love, the joy that we have in Christ changes everything. What Christ has to offer is not this dissatisfying, those who put their hope in Him will not be put to shame, Scripture tells us. He is this one true hope that overwhelms every other Desires. We are not without hope. A Savior is born. At just the right time, He is born. Christmas is for your great joy. And not just Christmas, Rhonda is right. This is the birth of a Savior who is going to be born, live the sinless life, earn God's righteous declaration, yet die on a cross, suffer the wrath of God, not that He deserved but that we deserved. Christ is going to suffer on that cross for your sins, so that through repentance and faith in this Savior who lived, died, and was resurrected, so that through repentance and faith in this work, we could be adopted as His very own children. And not only sons, not only adopted as children, but heirs, heirs of God. When you are an heir of God, when you have God's coming, God's goods coming your way, you have everything. When, when when we talk about this reality of our adoption as sons, the reality is, when we talk about Advent is this longing for Jesus to show up, the reality is, Jesus is coming again. And one day, this... This first incarnation is going to bleed over into the second incarnation, the second coming of Christ, where He will finally and fully rid us of all sorrow, sadness, sickness, and disease forever. And so when we have this Savior, when we place our faith in this, this one who is born, we truly, He is, we truly have everything. He is the one great joy. The joy that it brings us, we had an adoption happen in this, in this church just last week. It was announced, and I don't think there was a dry eye in the place. I, I, mine weren't. We had this wonderful adoption, this family who had worked with this child for several, for uh, almost two full years to get adoption of this child. And, and this, this child finally legally has come into their family and has been ado- adopted as a child. Think about the picture of that, and what are the realities that that child can now be assured of. This child has done really nothing remarkable to deserve their love and affection. It was a child, it was outside of their family, but this, these parents, this father, this mother, this parent chose to set their affection on this child, not because they deserved it, or had done anything to earn it, because they had decided to love this child. The child has done nothing remarkable to deserve it, All of the sacrifice and the expense has been paid by the parents. They didn't say to this kid, okay, we'll adopt you if you X, Y, Z. No, they said, I'll pay the expense. I will will spare no expense. I will foot the bill. I will pay the cost for you to become my child. And yet here we see it, full adoption and occlusion into that family and into the love of their parents. One thing is certain, one thing is certain that child should never doubt that their parents love them because of the full price being paid by the parents for the adoption into the family. Listen, God has made His love plain as well. We see it in the manger. We see it on the cross. Do you see it? His love made plain, written in the manger, written on the cross. Our adoption comes to us not because we deserve it, or have done anything to help pay for it, all of the expense is paid by Christ. All of the expense is paid by Christ. And he gladly bears it to see sinners like us forgiven and adopted into his family. When we look at the manger, we should be filled with the great joy that the good news brings. The undeniable reality of God's love for you as his children through faith in Christ. And may that joy, may the joy of that Christmas reality be our joy today. Let's pray. Father, as we pause, give us eyes to see and hearts full of rejoicing. All that I have deserved on my own has been to be punished and banished from your presence forever. And yet what we see and what I see at Christmas is a Savior, God putting on flesh, coming to earth, living the righteous life, dying the death of a sinner, my death, so that through no work of my own but simple faith, the channel trusting in this Christ, (laughs) forgiven of our sins, reconciled back to you, given true eternal hope. God, give us eyes to see it and hearts that rejoice in this Christmas reality today. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.